All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Better late than never. Welcome. It's Fucking Anton Lander. Fucking Anton Lander. Welcome to Better Late Than Ever, everybody. Bag milk. Yes, sir. This is Ceases. Hello. Ceases. Ceases. Well, then I better duck. Ceases is after me. Ceases. Welcome to Better Late Than Ever, everybody. I'm going to turn the intro down. We got a lot to get to. I want to recap the Oilers season. I want to recap the playoffs. I want to talk about a whole bunch of different things. And I want to just put a positive spin on how much fun we had during the playoffs. I'm also going to bring in Tyler Uremchuk into the show. We're going to talk about our experiences down in LA. We're going to talk about what went on at Rogers Place during the playoffs. I'm going to bring him in on the righteous sack beating this week. So, we got a lot to get to, so I've got no time to waste. But first, I got to tell you about the audio department. They are the title sponsor of the show. You can check them out at theaudiodepartment.ca. Again, you want to record a podcast? You head down to the audio department. You want to know about them? Happy to tell you. The audio department works to create a safe space for creativity and collaboration for artists and musicians to realize their potential and share their message through sound and story. This podcast is sharing my message through sound. Frank's fired up about it. You don't got to worry about it, pal. Can you guys pick that up on the mic? Frank's barking at somebody. Amazon guy, maybe? Mailman? Could be anybody. He's fired up, probably because I'm talking about the audio department. Go check them out at theaudiodepartment.ca. They are located at 6916 82nd Avenue Northwest. If you got a, if you're in a band, record it there. If you got a mixtape coming out, record it there. You want to record a podcast, do it there. Check them out at theaudiodepartment.ca. You can book your time right online through the website. Got it? Good. Good. I'm very happy. Now, 
I'm going to start off the podcast a little bit before we get into the news. I just want to talk about a couple of things. Like, man, I know we're going to get into this with Tyler in a little bit, but I just feel so grateful for the run we just had. And I think back to, and I know I've said this everywhere, but like I think back to what was going on in December, what was going on in January. The Oilers were 2-11-2, something like that, 2-13. and 13. They had gone basically a month without wins for Dave Tippett. Eventually, he gets canned. Like, I'll, I'll admit, like, I was thinking about the season um, before I started recording, and it was just, it got to a point where the Oilers were so good off the jump. They went like 10-0 and 0 or something, or 10-1. and 1. I don't remember exactly. But they were so good off the jump that I just thought, there's no way that Ken Holland, a guy who had never fired a coach in season before, he had never done it, was going to get rid of Dave Tippett in a winning record. I, I thought it was impossible. I thought there was no possible way we were going to see that happen, and then it did. Jay Woodcroft came in. He turned the staff. He turned the thing around. Both he and Dave Manson had this team playing a different flavor of hockey, and it was a lot of fun to watch. All of a sudden, from February onward, there was reason to believe again. Even so, there were still times where he thought maybe the playoffs were going to be a stretch, but were they? No. They won the round against LA. Everybody thought they should walk through them. That didn't happen. It took seven games, but they still won anyway. They walked through Calgary. They absolutely walked through Calgary. (laughs) Call it a gentleman's sweep. Call it whatever you want. I just call it... Sexy. That was one of the series that we won't forget. Everybody picked the Flames. Fucking Wayne Gretzky picked the Flames. Oilers walk through them. They make it to the Western Conference Finals, even though nobody, nobody outside of Edmonton would have ever expected them to make it to the third round. Nobody. And if you said you did, I think you're a liar if you're outside of Edmonton. If you're here, I believe you. We believe in this team. We drink the Kool-Aid and it goes down smooth. I'm getting ready to drink it down again for next season. We still got months to go. We got a draft coming up. We got free agency coming up. I'm ready to drink the Kool-Aid for the next few months, baby. It's delicious. All the flavors. I'm going to take it down, you know? But I just feel incredibly lucky that we were able to experience that run. I was happy to see the city was alive again. The last two playoff runs, they were just, they were... I mean, runs is, first of all, a very generous term. And two, there was no fans in the building. It wasn't the same. The playing round in the bubble, that was just fucked. Not just because they lost, but it was just weird. You know, they were playing hockey essentially from 9 a.m. until midnight because they had to pack so many games into only two arenas. That was weird. Last year, opening opening round against Winnipeg, I thought we were in a good spot. I called Winnipeg. I'm like, bring on Winnipeg. Fuck you, Jets. I know you don't have an airport. I know that's going to make the travel a little bit more difficult, but we got this. They did not have it. So this year, fans back in the building. I was lucky enough to go to a bunch of games, both here and I went to a couple in Los Angeles. I just feel incredibly grateful. I feel incredibly grateful for the run they gave us, all the fun I had. Maybe my body didn't appreciate it so much because I drank way too much and didn't eat any vegetables or drink water. I got a lot of catching up to do, but just from there, I just feel incredibly grateful. I feel incredibly grateful that some of the the bets that were made ended up working out. I think of a guy like Zach Hyman. He signed in Edmonton because he liked wanted the opportunity last summer as a free agent. Man, how good was that guy? When he was asked about his time in Edmonton, this is what he said. Honestly, one of the best decisions I've made in my life to come here and play with these guys. And um, 
everybody just been so welcoming. The city talked about the fans a little bit and, and the players and, um, you know, making not just me feel comfortable, but my family feel comfortable, my wife, my son, and um, just really happy to be here for a long time. I'm happy you're here to, for a long time too, pal. You were great in the regular season. You were better in the playoffs somehow. Everything we heard about you came true. You got an engine that won't quit. So there was a lot of those stories. I felt incredibly grateful that I got to see Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid put on a performance that has not been seen since the 80s. It was supposed to be harder for them in the playoffs. They weren't supposed to put up this kind of production. Not to mention Leon's doing it on one leg. Get the fuck out of here. Incredible. It really was incredible. So that's where I want to start off the podcast. Just a little bit of gratitude for what we just watched. Is it disappointing to get swept? Of course it is. Don't get me wrong. I'm not happy about it. Today, as I'm recording on Wednesday, we should be getting set for game five. But instead, I had to transcribe the exit interviews with Woodcroft and and, uh, Ken Holland today. That's no fun. That's not how it's supposed to go. But, man, I enjoyed the ride on the way there. I really enjoyed the ride. So that's where I'm going to end off the intro. Shout out to the audio department. It is now time to get to the news. The news brought to you by my friends at Arcadia Brewing. Check them out at ArcadiaYeg.com on the web or follow them on social. Get all the details there as well on what they're up to. Arcadia Brew Co. on Twitter, Arcadia Brewing Co. on Instagram. I promise you, you should head out there. Get a whistling pig. It's delicious. It's delicious. I think, you know what? I think this weekend I'm going to go for a couple of pints at Arcadia. It's been a minute since I've been there. I need to stock up on some stuff. I love that place, and I promise you will too. So go check them out on socials and on the internet. The first thing I'm going to start off with the news is everybody was hurt. Everybody was hurt, as it turns out today. We heard some updates from Jay Woodcroft. Well, actually, he didn't give any updates. He just said, I'll talk. Uh, you can ask Ken about it. So here's what we learned today. Leon Dreisaitl, well-reported, often reported, high ankle sprain. Darnell Nurse, torn hip flexor. He announced that after game four. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, we didn't know about this one. He was battling some kind of shoulder injury. Scored a big goal in game four. I thought it was going to be one of the ones that sent him into game five. Unfortunately, it didn't happen, but Nugent Hopkins had a shoulder injury. Yes, Ipoli Arvey hurt his shoulder in game four as well. Kyler Yamamoto was out because of concussion protocol. And accordingly, there was apparently there was another handful of guys that were just banged up. That's playoffs, baby. That's playoffs, baby. So when it came to the the big games, the, the big names, though, I'm going to start with Darnell Nurse because when he said he had a torn hip flexor, my boy Travis Dakin is suffering with the same injury right now. He had to be carted around in a fucking wheelchair. How Daryl was able to play in the playoffs for three rounds is amazing. So here's what he said after game four. Our ultimate goal is to to win a Stanley Cup, and we didn't get it done this year, so it hurts. Um, and you know, uh, you know, I tore my, tore my hip flexor, so just dealt with that for... Three <laughs> I just the funny part to me about that clip is he's talking about the game and then he just casually threw in the torn hip flexor. I mean, there was a lot of Oilers fans that were angry with Darnell Nurse for not being himself and not looking like himself. But when you hear the injury, I beg you, I beg you to Google what a torn hip flexor is. Because I did. I didn't know. I had no idea really what it was. I had a bruised hip flexor one time when I was playing hockey. I could barely walk. So a torn one, get out of here. 
get out of here. The other guy that was injured was Leon Dreisaitl. Ken Holland said today he got the worst of it when Mikey Anderson, I had a righteous act beating about him a few weeks ago, that fucking guy. Nobody pays to see you in the playoffs, my guy. They pay to see Leon get off the ice, but pulled him down from behind. Ugly play, of course, unpenalized because who knows what's a penalty or a suspension with the NHL these days. But to hear Leon talk about it, well, the answer is he didn't want to. There's lots of guys that um, go through painful things like that. So, um, yeah, not going to make this about myself. Uh, lots of guys that play play through certain injuries. <laughs> what a champion. The fact that he's sponsored by Warrior for his hockey equipment, they should cut him a check because that dude is the ultimate warrior. I know they cut him a check, but I want a bigger check. Whatever it is, triple it. He's worth it. That is a leader too. He didn't want to make any excuses about what happened in the in the Western Conference Finals. He says a lot of guys are battling injuries. I'm not here to talk about myself. Even in his exit interview yesterday with the media, he did not talk about his injury. Did not. We all knew it was a high ankle sprain. Frank Saravalli reported that a while back, but Leon, no time for it. Absolutely no time for it. Um, so just the injuries, unbelievable news coming out after the playoffs. Expected, but it's still shocking no matter what when you hear it. Another thing that we want to talk about is Mike Smith. What's going on with him? Rumblings from both Stoffer and Gregor that he may actually be retiring. Elliot Friedman weighed in on his podcast as well. And he says, I think he takes a lot of blame for that series loss. I wouldn't be surprised if he has it in uh I wouldn't be surprised if that has him at a very low point mentally and saying this hurts too much and I'm not sure he can go through it again. So when it comes to his retirement, I guess it's possible, but I think it's too soon to really know one way or the other. The interesting thing about it though is we're hearing kind of news about it. I was shocked to hear it a little bit in the sense that he's got a contract for next season. I also wouldn't be surprised if once he gets over the loss, it's going to take a little bit of time where he decides, no, fuck it. I'm good to go. I'm ready to go. I want to play. But if he does retire because his salary, there's no salary, but there's no signing bonus because his salary is more than the cap hit in year two. If he does decide to retire, there is no cap implications for the Edmonton Oilers. Will we have a Smith-Skinner duo next year? Is it going to be Skinner-somebody else? What's going to happen? I have no idea. And Ken Holland today in his presser didn't give us much indication of what's going to happen to. He just kind of said the same thing he did last year, where part of the progression is going to have to come from the youth. Some of this getting better. Some of this getting It's not the sexy thing. It's not the sexy thing. You know, we need Broberg to push and push his way on the team. And we needed Holloway to push and get on his team. And we need Bush to take the step. So basically, you need some young guys to take a step forward. No surprise there. Uh, Ken Holland, when he gets a presser, he doesn't really say a whole lot anyway. I wasn't expecting him to. Um, the goaltending thing, he was candid. He has to figure it out. Yes, a pulley RV. He said he has to figure out, talk to his agent. He's going to wait a couple of days. I, I don't understand trading yes to RV. I really don't. I, I just like, did he have a great second half to the season? No, he didn't. But this is a useful hockey player. He also had some injuries that he battled through. He also had COVID that he battled through. He had another illness that was non-COVID related towards the end of the season that he battled through. You do not sell low on these guys. You have to stop selling low on these guys. I refuse to live in a world where the Oilers keep losing these fucking trades and selling people at low points. It makes no sense at all. Zero. Not one lick of sense. And I, I just, I don't understand it at all. 
I really, really don't. So yes, I hope you're here in October. And if you're not, that is a dumb decision by the Oilers. My opinion, of course. One goalie that we know will not be playing for the Oilers or in the organization at all is goaltender Ilya Konovalov. He was placed on unconditional waivers today. Will be heading back to the KHL next season. In 17 appearances with Bakersfield, he finished with an 893. Uh, and a 359 goals against average. Those aren't sexy numbers, but he did get better in the back half. I'm just surprised. So what happened there? How did the relationship go south? Because that's a goalie that he performed very well in the in the KHL, came over. We had high hopes for him. We had high hopes for him. So what happened there? Was it the lack of playing time when they had Staylock playing early in the season? Was it something else? Does he just not like it over here? I have no idea. The good news is the Oilers do retain his rights just in case something changes. I mean, we saw it with Yessa. You know, we saw it with Yessa. So maybe. There's lots of guys that. I'm not superstition. Um, whoops. Go through. I'm pushing buttons that I shouldn't be pushing buttons. Sometimes that happens. I get excited. Um, other news from the playoffs wrapping up. The Oilers will draft or select 29th at the 2022 NHL draft that's coming up in Montreal. In addition the Chicago Blackhawks will receive the Oilers' 2022 third-round pick. That's from the Duncan Keith trade. Had he been in the top four minutes played and they made the Stanley Cup Finals, that would have been bumped up to a second, but that is, in fact, a third. And the Montreal Canadiens will receive the Oilers' 2022 second-round pick. So that was in the Brett Kulak trade. It was either going to be this one or the next one, depending on what happened with the Keith pick but the Oilers will keep their 2023 second-round pick. They have none in the second, none in the third, so I'm pretty sure, I'll confirm this now, I'm pretty sure they've got a first, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, but I will tell you the exact answer once my internet loads, and I can tell you with certainty. Uh, looking into the draft, they've got no fourth. So they've got one, five, six, seven. One, five, six, seven at the draft coming up in Montreal. You have to imagine that Ken Holland will try to get something done to get more picks in the top half of the draft. But again, he hasn't exactly been super aggressive on those. I wonder if he'd be looking to potentially trade roster players for very low returns to try and free up some cap space. Tyler and I are going to talk, like I'm going to ask Tyler when he jumps on about what he thinks Evander Kane is going to do. Obviously you need cap space to try and sign him. If you want to bring him back, Ken Holland today admitted in his presser that he does want to bring him back. Not a lot of space. You're going to have to clear some guys out. Zach Cassian. Could you get a pick for him in any way? Is he back next year? I'd be kind of surprised, but at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised. Frank Saravalli said last year there was interest in Cassian last summer, and the Oilers chose to retain him, so I don't know. What about uh, Tyson Berry? Elliot Friedman talked about it. Potentially, Berry could be a fit in a team like Seattle that needs NHL players looking to improve above finishing just awfully as they did this year. I don't know. I have no idea. But it's going to be an interesting offseason around here. A lot of the team's core is coming back. We're going to have Drysaddle. We're going to have McDavid. We're going to have Hyman. We're going to have Nuge. You know, up front, you're looking good. Kyler Yamamoto, according to Ryan Rashog, is being prioritized over Yes, Puliyarvi. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I really like both players. They're both completely different. So prioritizing one over the other, I just don't, I just can't see that either of them would be, you know, necessarily too expensive. Didn't have great years. Right? They had long stretches where they disappeared, but I don't know. What am I? What the fuck do I know? Nothing. That's the answer. I know nothing. So we've got an interesting offseason coming up. That will wrap up for this week. 
the news for our friends at Arcadia Brewing. Arcadia Brewing. Check them out. Socials. Arcadia Brew Co. on Twitter. Arcadia Brewing Co. on Instagram. ArcadiaGeg.com. Just go on the website. Do it old school. I don't know if they have a fax number. I doubt it. Nobody does. Unless you do. If you want to fax them, I'm sure we can figure it out. Right? Of course. Hello, you. Oh, wow. Your ears look fantastic. You're listening to Better Late Than Never by Bagged Milk. Yes. You're sexy as well. Oh, yes. For our friends at Trilogy Oilfield Rentals, TrilogyRentals.ca, I am happy to welcome Tyler Uremchuk to Better Late Than Never. Third appearance, I think, for Tyler. We're going to recap the playoffs. We're going to keep this positive. The The messaging today is, you know what? That was pretty damn fun. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, Trilogy Oil Field it, Rentals is an established provider of oil field rental tools with full-time operating units in Provost, Weyburn, and Kindersley. They also provide seasonal and project-specific locations in Fort St. John, Fort McMurray, Lac La Biche, or others as customers require. Rental tools, fishing tools, coil tools, drilling tools, completion tools. Trilogy Oil Field Rentals has them all. Tyler, I imagine you're in the in line for some of those. I was going to say, not only are all those places, towns, cities the places where you can find Trilogy oil fields, but it's also the top seven vacation spots in Western Canada. Yep. So I think you go there, you have a little vacay. You know, the oiler season is done. It's wrapped. You want to relax a little bit. Why not check out Trilogy oil field rentals out in any of those towns or maybe check out some of the rental tools or fishing tools. I thought it was fishing like fishing, fishing, but it doesn't seem that that is the case, Tyler. I once again do not know anything about what, how these work. And that's part of the fun, I think. That's another meaning of the word fishing. You have the you know more literal fishing in a lake. You have fishing email wise, which uh, you know you're always made aware of when you work for a big company. The pH. That's the pH yeah, that's fishing. The pH. Um, and then there's also cat fishing, which we're all familiar with. Yep, uh, great show. Also, shout out yeah. to uh, what's that guy's name? Neve. Shout out to Neve. Uh, all right, Tyler. So I want to talk about the Oilers playoff run. Um, you and I were lucky enough to go to a bunch of games throughout the run. Uh, we went to Los Angeles together. We talked about that on a couple of different podcasts, but I just want to kind of talk about how much fun it was to have this run go into the third round, obviously getting swept by the Colorado Avalanche is what anybody wanted, but still, regardless of the result, man, I had a good time. Yeah. I mean, how could you have not, right? You think back to the last couple of, in air quotes, playoff runs, which were different because they were, you know, right in the beginning slash middle of the pandemic and there weren't fans in the stands and all that stuff. Like the Chicago one let down the series against Winnipeg, massive letdown. And this year it still felt like, you know, the way they came into the playoffs, there was some optimism there. Right. And right from the jump, they started just immediately giving us great moment after great moment, exciting game after exciting game. That's awesome. So you said on Oilers nation radio, maybe real, if I can't remember at this point that, you know, 2006, little bit too young for you. I was 21 at the time. So I remember I was lucky enough again to go to a bunch of games during that run. Rogers, or I guess Rexall place at that time was absolutely electric. It was bumping. We went down to white Ave after every game. It was a lot of fun. 2017 also fun shorter than this one though. Ultimately um, what was just your take on kind of, this was the first time for you really that you attended a bunch of games 
Again, we went on the road to LA. What was uh, kind of one of the biggest takeaways from you going into the playoffs? I guess maybe just your expectations versus what actually happened. Yeah, I mean, the expectation, like that in that first series against LA, going into it, the expectation was the Oilers are winning this thing in five or six, right? Yep. Then you go, you want to go back, right? They lose game one, win game two, blow them out in game three, and it was like perfect. Giddy up, like this thing's over in five because they just they trounced them in game three, and we were at that game. Um, and then when they went down three, two, that old feeling kind of set sunk in of like, oh yeah, like this team loves to break our hearts and mess with our emotions. And for me, like I'd kind of lost a good amount of faith then. And, uh, you know, my predictions were still that they would find a way to win in seven, but the fan part of me was like, damn, like that. Cause we held gonna... a, uh, we held a viewing party that night for game six in the first round was at Beercade. Yeah. It was tense in there. It was, it was and I really remember, tense in there. I remember exactly where I was standing, the exact angle I was watching the game, and I, there was whatever 10, 12 minutes left, and I was like, "All right, how is this not going to go our way? Like, where's the bad bounce that sinks them that we're talking about for the next four months as the big what if? While every other fan base in the league clowns us and talks about how McDavid's asking out and blah 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 blah, and then sure as shit, the tide changes when Tyson Berry scores that goal." And that really did, in a way, set off like a domino effect of good bounces, clutch scoring, all this stuff for the Oilers. Because Barry scores that goal, and then Archibald missed an empty net. Don't forget that. Because yep. I remember when that happened, I was like, this is another chapter of just being miserable. The Kings are going to score. But nope, they held on and won. And then game seven, they play like a perfect defensive game in a mass, like in a clutch, clutch game. And it's like, holy shit. And they get the McDavid goal laid. And, okay, you got some bounces. You go to Calgary, you lose the first game. Then all of a sudden, it's just bounce back with bang, a game where you get good bounces and you get clutch scoring in the next game. Again, you do it again. And then in the final game, like the Nuge game and all that, it's just there were so many good bounces, good moments, clutch goals to celebrate. The comeback wins against Calgary. Like, it's not just that they won two series. It's who they beat in round two. And it's also kind of the way they won those series with the drama. Yeah, I mean, because again, we went, we were in LA for games three and four. Game three, we show up just the best, an oh. absolute blowout. We had so much fun in that rink. We were pointing we drank at so much cola. We drank many liters of cola. We were pointing at Oilers fans and other in other sections. The building was basically empty by the yeah. time the final buzzer went. We thought we had it in the bag. Then we go into game four. They get shut out. We're like, okay. Okay, you kind of you kind of put the cart before the horse a little bit on this one. It's felt like game five, no problem. I remember all of us we were sitting at the airport traveling home from Los Angeles. You, Jay, and I, and we're like, oh, you you just emptied the clip on the Oilers in game five. There's no way they're gonna do another one of those. And then what happens is they lose an OT after a horrific start, <sighs> horrific start at home, and those feelings came the, the interesting thing that I was thinking about after game five is I tweeted out Oilers and seven after that loss, <laughs> just the amount of shit I took on that tweet is really funny. Uh, especially it's better now in hindsight as well. Just that first round though, everybody was expecting a walk and that's not what happened. It was a little bit more intense than that. And like you said, the Oilers came up with two big games when they needed it. Mm-hmm. The Calgary series was just, that was just insanity from start to finish. Yeah, like it, it was just complete bananas. I tweeted after I think this was when they went down three two in the series, and I just said, "So Oilers Nation, do you believe?" And you know the replies are pretty interesting. Like there's a lot of people who were you know drinking the Kool Aid and 
and getting all fired up, showing me their betting tickets. But there were also a lot of people that were like, nope, nope, nope. This team, no matter what they're done, like this team will never figure it out. Blah, 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 blah. And like, again, like someone even said, who was this? Uh, Wayne commented on that tweet and said, my heart has been broken too many times by this team. And there were a lot of Oilers fans, even if you put on the brave face and you're like, no, hope will never die. In the back of your mind, there was still a little bit of like, God damn, they're going to break my heart, aren't they? Well, yeah. I mean, it's like everybody thought the Kings had no Arvidsson. They had no Doughty. By all accounts, it should have been a walkthrough. Um, but as we learned in the playoffs a bunch of times, that's just not how it goes. So then to have the Oilers go up against the Flames, everybody picked the fucking Flames to win. Even Wayne Gretzky picked the Flames to win. And then to have everything go our way, it was kind of almost the reverse of what happened in Colorado in the sense that the Oilers got the clutch goals they needed at the right times and they were able to stave the Flames off when they needed to. Against Colorado, you know, they were back to within one in game one after the Makar offside thing. It is what it is. Okay, fine. Game three, they were tied in the third period. Couldn't get the next one. Game four, they were up two goals two separate times and couldn't hang on to it. Yeah. It was almost the reverse of the Calgary series a little bit. Yeah, it really was. Um, and we talked about that a little bit on Oilers Nation Radio. And it's something that I, I feel like a lot of people never really, because I don't know if they think it's like disrespecting the sport or whatever. There's so much luck involved in the Stanley Cup playoffs. You know, if you get the calls, if you don't, when you get a power play, when you don't, you even look at that last game, right? And the one that ultimately bounced the Oilers. And don't take this as me being like, oh, they would have came back. Like they, the reverse sweep would have happened. But the Devon Taves goal to start the third. Mike Smith clears it, hits the ref. Okay, that puck goes out of the zone if the ref moves out of the way. And who knows how the period ends up, you know, kind of playing out. Yep. And then that Taves goal as well went in off Cody Cece. So I was like, man, like just the bad bounces, the Miko Rantanen power play goal that put him up five, four. I, again, I'm not saying the Oilers would have still gotten the Zach Cassian goal after, but like Derek Ryan, that call was hot garbage. Yeah, it was awful. Like it should just never happen. Right. You can even look at the Nuge call from a couple games earlier. Like sometimes you just get a bad call at a bad time or a bad bounce at a bad time. And it's the difference for you in a hockey game. And you're right against Calgary. I think they got the calls sometimes at the right moments. You even think about they're up by one after Nuge gave them the lead. And not that this was a bad call. It was the right call. But like Rasmus Anderson takes a double minor for high sticking. And that sealed it up because the final four minutes of the game had to be played with the flame shorthanded. Yep. Okay, well, think of the, the luck factors there. You know, that's not a bad penalty. That's an unlucky penalty of him lifting a stick and hitting a guy. And also blood. Like that doesn't always happen. So the little things in the Calgary series seem to always break their way, which was so refreshing as an Oilers fan. Cause again, for so many years, it just felt like nothing ever broke their way outside of the draft lottery. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, they came, they won four straight against Calgary moved through. And I, I mean, I was nervous in the Western conference finals against Colorado, but not really like, I was against Calgary. It was a, just a different atmosphere. It was a different vibe. There was a different, uh, I know it's only the second round, but like, is there was, there was a different hill to climb in that one. Don't you think against Calgary? Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those ones where you don't want to lose the battle of Alberta. 
Yeah, and like I'll fully admit, do you remember after game one when we had Saravali on Oilers Nation Radio? He said he would have picked if he picked the Oilers to win in seven. Yeah. He said after game one, he would have flipped it to pick the Flames in five. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think a lot of people even then were like, oh, God, you goaltending all this. Like you got to Markstrom once. You're not getting to Markstrom a bunch more times this series. And like sure as hell they did. Mm-hmm. Um, but the turning point for me in that game or in the series, I should say, was that Hyman shorthanded goal in the third, right? Yep. Like the Oilers had battled back from being down 2 nothing and 3-1, and then you just got this break. And shorthanded goals are often a break. Like the opposition has to, to an extent, fuck up for you to score a shorthanded goal. Yep. And the Flames messed up at a bad time, and the Oilers took advantage of it, and boom, that game was over. And that seemed to just zap so much life out of the Flames because game three, they were terrible. That was Calgary's worst game of the playoffs. Yeah, and again, they seemed, they seemed rattled and flat and the Oilers had all this momentum. And that's why when people are like, oh, momentum doesn't go game to game. Like, hey, it doesn't always go game to game. But that Calgary Edmonton series is a great example of momentum carrying over game to game because then you get the next night where Edmonton gets that early goal. Markstrom still rattled. Markstrom makes a dumb play and puts it on Nugent Hopkins tape. Like, it all started, though. The dominoes there in that series started with the Hyman goal. What about the atmosphere at Rogers place? Cause oh. you hear in town mm-hmm. just how crazy it gets in the arena when the playoffs are in. And it's almost kind of interesting and funny to watch because Edmonton Oilers fans, they know, they know what's going on. They're an educated fan base. They're not going to cheer for no reason, but in the playoffs, we are cheering for no reason. We're up in the stands. We're dancing. People are drinking. People are having a good time. What'd you just make of the atmosphere of, being at Rogers place, you went to what? Did you go to every home game? More close. Yeah, I was at almost every home game. Uh, there was one game I was up in the press box, which was also like a different experience. The way the noise kind of travels when you're sitting way up there in the press box. Um, but it was just unbelievable. Like the thing that blew me away because like I, it was like this in 2017, but I don't think it was this wild to this extent before the game when they would do that countdown and everyone is in their seat. Like no one's wandering around getting beers. No, you are in your seat for the minute or 30 second countdown and everyone's just cheering. And I think that was awesome. I also think the Oilers deserve a ton of props for how they did that pregame. The countdown was cool. It would fade to black. They added extra lights. They added smoke machines for the second round. But then even after, so the video ends and then they would just take like, 15 seconds before the Oilers came out to just let the crowd like sit in silence and go nuts. Like just keep letting the anticipation Enter build up. Sandman's kicking off. Yeah. And then finally, when the doors open for the Oilers, you get that camera angle and, and Mike Smith's coming out and the place reaches another level. And then they do the starting lineups and they wouldn't, they would never go right to the anthems. They would sit there and again, 15 seconds, just let the crowd go insane. And I just thought that was a really, really smart move by them to let them keep building up the anticipation. I love that they had the moss pit and the beer gardens outside, which added another layer. Like as soon as you were a block away from the arena, you felt it, you felt the energy. And it was just, it was all off the charts. I also loved uh, speaking of the moss pit. uh, I think it was the Tim and friends Twitter account. They did a really good job of tweeting out videos after big Oilers goals, like game four against Calgary when Nugent Hopkins scored the eventual winner. That place went bananas. The only downside of the Moss pit is you just couldn't have more people in there because of the space. Yeah. And I honestly think that 
next season, they can probably take it a step further if they really wanted to. I don't know if there's like a public safety angle to it, um, but I would I wish kind of that whole stretch of 104th, the block around the arena, I think they should close it all off next time this team's in the playoffs. More beer gardens, more room for people to be wandering around and chanting and yelling and high-fiving, like put food trucks in there, just like more. I, I would love to see them expand on it. It's going to be awesome also when all those restaurants and pubs and stuff and there are done and you can just get more people in for a different atmosphere. The Moss Pit was just, it was such an intriguing part this year because before every game I went to, and I was lucky enough to go to a bunch of them, I would go hang out in there for at least a beer, watch the band, yeah. take in the atmosphere. Not only was the Moss Pit going, Ford Hall was always going. Mm-hmm. This place is just so much better in the playoffs in terms of the support and how loud it gets. What do you make of the atmosphere in LA when we were down at uh, crypto.com arena? Like it was good. I don't, it wasn't on the same level though. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing too, like, and I remember this when we went to Vegas to watch a game, like so there are certain fans, like the Oilers, Oilers fans and Canadian hockey fans as well, I guess are smart, right? Like they, they know the game so well because you you're born with it and you're around it all the time. Right. And down in LA, there'd be like, a three on two. That's kind of a broken play in the crowd. of like, Oh, and you're like, Oh, come on, like, calm down. You don't cheer for that when it's Edmonton, unless it's like Connor McDavid. Um, and the crowd was fine, but they were also kind of quick to get quiet or quicker to get quiet. I kind yeah. of found. Yeah. That's what I found too. I, I, and I tweeted it out and it was funny that people had gone to games uh, in LA or other uh, similar markets. I just kind of said, what are we cheering about in here? Like, I understand what's going on, but like, I don't understand what we're cheering about all the time. And there's a lot of people that kind of had the same thing. One of my favorite atmosphere tweets though, happened when it was down in Calgary and Frank Saravalli from dailyfaceoff.com was down there covering the battle of Alberta series. And he was also up here. So the game came back to Edmonton for game three. And we both tweeted at Frank. We're just like, which arena is louder. You've been to both. We want to know. And he just said, uh, something to paraphrase is just like, it's here. It's not close. And it was a reply tweet to both of us, but that thing took off all over the place and flames fans were rattled about it. Oh yeah. And they started blaming like, what's oh, the acoustics in the arena or like, it's this and it's that. And it's just like, man, no Oilers fans just bring it on another level. It's part of the reason why something like Oilers nation survives the way it does right because this fan base is just absolutely insane yeah they're bananas like i said in the regular season if it's january tuesday against the minnesota wild we're not up dancing in the aisles but if it's the playoffs baby we're dancing in the aisles because we're smart we know the impact that a strong home crowd can have uh frank's exact tweet was (laughs) not even close way louder (laughs) and the reaction so what is the just like how many retweets and stuff was that on there do you see it it was like a hundred retweets or something. And it made me laugh just because it was a reply to us. I don't even know how many, that many people saw it. Yeah. I, I don't have it on me just because I, that was a screenshot I'd taken of it. Um, I could probably find it. In just, I guess the point is just Edmonton fans. I hope that even though there's obvious disappointment here um, with the way that the Oilers lost with the way that things ended, man, we fucking party for about six weeks and it was a great time. Over, if you count quote tweets, over 135 <laughs> quote tweets. 
And you don't see that when it's just a reply to us. It's like <laughs> that thing took off all over the place. I was actually, I actually told Frank, I'm like, text us. I want to know the answer. I was curious. Yeah. I didn't expect him to tweet at both of us. So I just think that Oilers fans should be super proud of this run. Um, you don't want to get swept. Nobody does. But you look at the Colorado Avalanche team that did it. They've only lost twice in the playoffs so far. Yeah, they're a juggernaut. Like, they're so good, man. And you just look up and down that lineup. Like, they had good NHLers who couldn't get into games. When you look at, like, you know, Abe Kubel or Sturm was scratched sort of every game. Ryan Murray is on that team. And he's still, like, a and he's still a top six guy on most teams. And he could not get into the lineup. Uh, Kale McCarr and Devon Taves, that would have been a pairing on Team Canada's Olympic team this year. Like, oh, sure. They're, they're that good. They have two quality goaltenders. They have the depth up front. And if it's not Ranton and Landeskog McKinnon or for a bit of the series, Kadri killing you, it's Comfort finding a way to get to you. It's Lekkanen. It's Burakovsky. Like Valerian Ashuskin's very good as well. He had two goals in the series. They're just so deep. And like going into the series, there were people who were like, oh, I like this matchup for Edmonton. And, you know, I, I didn't hate it. I didn't think they were going to get swept. Like I'm not trying to go that far with the hindsight. But I still kind of like raised an eyebrow and people were like, good matchup for the Oilers. Like the abs aren't that good. I was kind of like, what, how do you think they got to where they are? Like, how yeah. do you think they became, how many points have they put up in the, in the regular season? Like they finished the year with 119 points. And if hey. you believe in the kind of learning lessons and absorbing them and moving on, I mean, the avalanche got knocked out in the second round a handful of times. Like they were ready. They were ready to go. And we can talk about the refing, I suppose, and how it was very odd. Um, but ultimately, they're just a, it's a fucking good hockey team. And sometimes you got to tip your cap to them. Um, even the one of the games they lost against St. Louis was almost because they gave it up rather than St. Louis doing anything special. And you know, and I think that was even Colorado still after all these years of getting bounced in the first and second round. That was them in that moment still learning a lesson, being like, and we can't, you can't take your foot off the gas in the Stanley Cup playoffs. You think you have the series put away and it's all over. And it's like, nope, that's, it's never the case. And I think the Oilers learned a lot of lessons like that in these playoffs as well. Some of them they adapted to on the fly, like against Calgary, they really, I think, gained that sort of resiliency of, hey, we're down two. who cares? Hey, we gave up a bad goal from 135 feet away from our net. Who cares? We are going to get the next one. And that was a big reason why the Oilers beat the flames as quickly as they did. And a big reason why like three of those four Colorado games, if you take out empty netters are one goal hockey games, right? Those are real close to coin flips and the Oilers learned some valuable lessons. Yeah. It was one of those ones. Like I think of game four, obviously we knew what the stats were to come back from Oh three, but I think a game four, that's a lesson that the Oilers got to take in where they had that game, but they couldn't lock it down. And they got nervous. They looked nervous. They played nervous. And the results they got were what they, what they were. And even still, um, I was super pumped, man. Like That was the most fun I've had in a six-week stretch in probably in, since before the pandemic, for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, and even leaving the arena after, like, I wasn't, and this might just sound weird, but like, I wasn't bummed, over that the, bummed out that they lost. Right. Because I kind of, again, knew it was a very real possibility that they were going to lose at some point to Colorado. I was just bummed out that the fun was over. Right. That like, ah, yeah. 
we don't get any more watch parties. We don't get any more, any more pregame shows or podcasts talking about a big game or fun interactions on Twitter. Like, damn, like this is it for the year. Like this was such a good time. And we'll look back for a long, long time. I think at this run here of 2022. And I was just bummed out that it was over. I was bummed out that it was over too. whether it was going to the games or being in Los Angeles with you guys and going on adventures or going to the watch parties and just interacting and just watching it together in a different venue. It was, there's so much to like. And just one of my favorite things would be leaving Roger's place after a win and just seeing the madness going on outside in the street. You just, would walk out. And for some games, it's still sunny out when you walked out and just like cars honking, all that stuff, people high five. And it was great. Sticking with the positives from this season, Jay Woodcroft came in in February. At that point in the season, we were talking about a very real possibility that the Oilers were going to miss the playoffs. What do you make of this guy? Like, I would be stunned if he's not the Oilers head coach next year. What do you make of Woody and the job he did? There's no, like, I just don't understand how he's not. Like, if you're Ken Holland, how could you look at the results? Like, since Woodcroft took over, in the regular season, one of the best teams in the league. In the playoffs, they made the final four, what came within eight wins of the Stanley Cup. How could you sit there as maybe tantalizing as a Bruce Boudreaux, or sorry, Barry Trotz or a Bruce Cassidy or someone like that? As much as much as you may be tempted to be like, ah, good veteran voice to push this team over the edge. You just can't argue with the results that Jay Woodcroft gave you. And this is a guy the organization has put so much time and effort into developing as a coach whether he was here with Todd, down in Bakersfield, all that stuff, you reward that guy. And I don't know how much it's going to cost. I don't have enough insight into like coaching salaries, but I would imagine whatever number Ken Holland goes to Daryl Cates and says, this is how much I plan on paying Jay Woodcroft. I imagine Daryl Cates signs off on that pretty quickly. I talked to Frank Saravalli about that, actually. And he just said, listen, he's a rookie coach, regardless of the results. There's around the league, there's almost a kind of a ceiling for a guy like that, regardless of where you go. But it's like you said, the results, the messaging, the way he made adjustments, the way he handled the media, like for a guy who's a rookie head coach, I I just, I was endlessly impressed by the way he spoke to the media. And today in his press availability, he said that he felt it was his job to send a message to the fans. This guy gets it. And this guy gets it in this market. He does. And after the last few coaches, the Oilers have had Tippett, Hitchcock, Woodcroft, or Tippett, Hitchcock, McClellan. They were veterans, right? They were older guys. They were always a little bit rough around the edges. The media conferences could be a little salty. Never a ton of positivity there. And if it was, it felt more like we got to work harder. Like that was the positivity. Whereas Woodcroft was just this totally different, complete 180 of, uh, of, for perspective, right? And that's what I loved about it too, is just that he gave us that different flavor. You're right. It feels like he really speaks the language of the fan base and he knows how to, he knows how to present himself and his team well. And I think that's important. Like you're not, you're never going to get a situation with Jay Woodcroft like you did with Dave Tippett when he said Miko Koskinen just needs to be better. Like what? Yeah. I mean, there was a couple of times throughout his tenure here, Woodcroft that is, where some guys would maybe be fishing for an angle or trying to fish for a response in a certain way. And he just, he was having none of it. There was not once over his time here where he threw a player under the bus. It was always we. He didn't want to talk about himself. He was always gracious in his press conferences. Even today at the end of his presser, I thought it was hilarious that he ended off with, hey, everybody, I just want you guys all to have a great summer. Like, yeah, that's the coach we need right now. 100%. My favorite uh, Woodcroft shooting someone down. He was asked by a veteran reporter in the city. 
who said, yes, and this reporter likes to fish for yes, stuff. Yes, shifts have been very short. Do you think it's because he doesn't want to be on the ice? That was the question. And Woodcroft was like, have his shifts been short? Yeah. All right. Well, I haven't noticed it. And just like ended it. Like no, <laughs> not even any chant at a quote that could be spun in any way. Just didn't answer it. And uh, I love that. Like, again, you're, you're, he just would never throw a guy under the bus. And I, I love it. Again, I would be stunned if we don't see a full year of Jay Woodcroft next year. Stunned. Yeah. That would be the most galaxy brain shit ever. And I just, as much as it's fun to pick on the Oilers, and we've done it plenty over the years, that is not one of those things that they're going to do. Um, looking at the lineup, staying positive here, Tyler, it's the positive recap of the season. Mm-hmm. What do you make of Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid's postseason? Those two are absolute freaks. And Dreisaitl did it on one leg. McDavid basically willed the team through two rounds. He was everything. We talked about it on BLT Bets today. If you were betting over one and a half points on McDavid throughout the playoffs, you made all kinds of money. What do you make of those two and what they did during the playoffs? I just, when it comes to the playoffs, it's supposed to be harder for guys like that, right? Because we always hear about how teams get away with more. Not that there's not as much called, but teams get away with more. And when you play the same team night after night after night, eventually they, you would think, would adjust and figure out how to shut you down. But what Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl will do is they kill you in a handful of different ways, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you want to give us power plays? Yeah, we'll beat you with power plays. Oh, you want to try slow us down off the rush? We're just going to skate right past you. Okay, you want to let us come in off the rush? We're going to beat you with our insane cycle game. Like everything they did, just LA didn't have answers for it. Calgary didn't have answers for it. And Colorado to an extent did because they had Taves and McCarr, but McDavid and Dreisaitl still got theirs in that series. And with a little bit better depth scoring or goaltending, the Oilers win a couple games in that series. Like Colorado didn't win because they shut down McDavid and Dreisaitl. They won just because they were a better overall team than the Oilers. So McDavid and Dreisaitl, I just, how can you not look into next year and just start to think about them doing insane shit again? Yeah, and I mean, the look on both of their faces in their season and impressors yesterday, they didn't, like, I thought it was hilarious. Leon didn't even want to acknowledge his injury at all. He wasn't making excuses for anything. And I thought that was really fantastic. Those two just seem so motivated and dialed in to do this together that it can only bode well for the Oilers. Another guy I want to ask you about, first season in Edmonton, uh, 27 goals during the regular season, uh, 11 goals during the postseason. How fucking good is Zach Hyman fit into this club? Like a glove. Like you said early in the season, one of your favorite predictions was he's going to be a fan favorite by Hall- or by Christmas or whatever. Or Halloween. Halloween. Yeah. And he was like instantly. He's great. Um, they need more of a guy. They need more Zach Hyman's, right? The sport, the world needs more Zach Hyman's. Just guys who refuse to ever be outworked. And that's what Zach Hyman did, whether it was five on five, five on four, four on five. Didn't matter. Zach Hyman was always the hardest working player on the ice. And he backs it up with a tremendous amount of skill as well. He's that net front guy on the power play jamming in pucks. He's at five on five, making good, good things happen. And my, one of my favorite tweets after he scored, I think it was the goal against Calgary shorthanded. Um, although he, I think he scored every game in that series. Someone said, wow, who would have thought replacing Alex chase on with Zach Hyman <laughs> could work out well. Uh, RIP to the answer. Uh, yeah. Alex Chason, I believe, is going over to Europe, if I remember correctly. Really? Um, 
yeah, I mean, and I was looking at Zach Hyman's stats as I asked you that question. It's interesting to see that a guy that good was once a fifth round pick for the yeah. Florida Panthers. And so they get six more years of him now. Um, and I, I see a lot of people kind of saying like, oh, you better hope it's six more productive years like that contract. It's bad. And it's like, you know, that's kind of the, the thing you do in free agency, right? It's yep. why it's important to have homegrown talent that you can sign. But when guys get to UFA years, you have to lose on something. You're never getting truly impactful players for nothing, right? Zach Hyman only costs money and term. And you know what? He was great this year. 27 goals, great in the playoffs, important in every area. I have no doubt that the next two or three years will go very well for Zach Hyman as an Edmonton Oiler. And if you get two or three more great playoff runs and great regular seasons, and this guy's a good leader in your room and in the community, if the last three years suck ass, who cares? Also, the cap should go up then. So that's another who cares. But like, that's free agency, man. If the last two years of the Nugent Hopkins deal aren't good, who cares? Because you got five or six productive UFA years at a guy under six million. Well, and there's also the fact like guys get moved, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Milan Lucic, the Oilers are paying for him to play for Calgary right now. And I don't have a problem with it at all because he was terrible. Yeah. You know? Um, looking at the Oilers roster, there's some work to do. Mm-hmm. McLeod needs a no- new contract. Pugliarvi needs a new contract. Yamamoto. What's like, they've got 7 million and change right now in cap space. Plus Clefbaum's going to go to LTIR. What, if you were to make a bold prediction on how we're going to carve out some cap space, what are you thinking here? Cause I'll tell you mine. I think that I, I would be very surprised if Zach Cassian is here in October. Yeah, I would too. And uh, depending, well, see, and depends what else they get done and what their goals are. Like, I think Tyson Berry has probably played his last game as an Edmonton Oiler just because Evan Bouchard is clearly ready to take that spot. I think they would prefer a good defender like a Brett Kulak. And I could just see them going to Seattle and saying, hey, here's Tyson Berry. Here's your puck moving D-man that you need. Cause I mean, they have Vince Dunn, but that's about it. And they need some NHLers out in Seattle. And, you know, I don't even think you're really getting like a roster player or anything back for him. But I think Ken Holland just kind of looks at that. Maybe he says, Hey, I give you Barry. You give me a second or third rounder in 2023. That's my deadline ammo for next year. And I got four and a half million dollars. And Seattle says, we have a million draft picks. We need a warm body. Like I could see a deal like that happening. So I think Barry is the guy who gets moved out to make room at that point. Like Barry's contract probably pays for Kulak and Ryan McLeod. If you go bridge deal with McLeod. So that's a huge move right there all on itself. I see. Like, I understand the logic on it. I understand the savings on it. I mean, I guess he's only two more years at 4.5 uh, looking at it. So that's not like a crazy amount of term for a, a team like Seattle to pick up. I just, do we get that lucky? You know, I just Friedman, deal- Friedman and Merrick talked about it on the show uh, on their podcast, and Friedman said Seattle would be interested. Well, we'll see what happens. So, Zach Cassian perhaps gets moved. That's three two. Tyson Berry is four five, and all of a sudden, if that happens, you—that's quite a bit of space that just opened up. If you move both those contracts, you can sign a Vander Kane. What do you think about a Vander Kane? Do you think he's here with next year? I personally do not. I don't. Uh, I think he really needs, he's going to try to secure the bag somewhere, right? And he needs to. He's not a guy who 
to be blunt, he's not a guy who can afford to not sign with the highest bidder, right? And you look at who's got money. Um, okay, he's not going to Buffalo. Let's do the exercise here. The teams with the most money, who could be a fit? Okay, he's not going to Buffalo because that happened. <laughs> no maybe. reunion tour? Oh, come on. You know, maybe Anaheim is a fit, but they're a young kind of rebuilding-ish team. I'm not sure yeah. if they would love the idea of Evander Kane. Uh, I can't see a scenario where Stevie Y signs him. Nope. Arizona, you know, he's a name to market. Are you a little bit worried if you're Arizona again, of him being around your young guys, but he's a name to market, right? Yep. So I, I think Arizona's maybe interesting. The one that's they got to sell out that ASU arena. Yeah. The one that scares the hell out of me. I don't even really want to put this into the universe, but if Calgary misses on Johnny Goudreau, I don't know. I could see why you'd be concerned about it, but they've got a lot of work to do. They do. So yeah, they've got a lot of space right now, but they do they really though? Like current cap space, according to Cap Friendly, is twenty six point nine, which is a lot of money. Yep. But you know, they're Frank Valley is reporting that they're going hard on Goudreau. That's going to be what nine. I'm saying nine and a half. Same thing is only a concern if they miss out on Goudreau and get desperate, where they'd be like, you know what? We got the money. We got Kachuk done. We got Mangiapane done. We have eight million dollars. Let's let's screw Edmonton. Let's get them. Let's keep them away from the Oilers. Let's bring them over. I mean, it'd, it'd if, they're gonna, spicy. if they're going to sign him for $8 million as a 30 plus year old. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, I think for a guy like Kane, the term is almost as more important than the actual AAV at some point. Yeah. It's total dollars is the real important thing for him. Uh, Colorado wouldn't be a fit. Jersey's not a fit. Nashville. If they lose Philip Forsberg, maybe they think they have like the culture to, to bring in a guy like Evander Kane. Um, but again, if they lose out on Forsberg at nine mil, I can't see them being like, oh, we'll spend seven on Evander Kane. But that'd be an interesting one. The, the tax there is obviously a huge plus as well. And then after that, like Seattle, maybe again, you want a marketable NHLer who's going to fill the net for you. Like maybe they'd be interested in them. But the point I'm trying to get to is that I, there is actually not a ton of teams out there who I think will be knocking down the door to pay a premium for Evander Kane. And if he looks around the league, and his options are, I can go to Seattle, who's going to suck for $23 million, or I can come back to Edmonton for $21 million because they're each offer, because they're offering me three by seven, and I can fill the net and have a good run with McDavid and Drysaddle? Maybe, maybe, but I, I agree. It's not the most likely outcome. You were just a guess. Where do you think he ends up? Uh, I mean, I just kind of rattled off the candidates there. Um, you know, maybe Seattle would make sense uh, just as a team who like needs some NHL talent on their roster. Um, it's going to be really interesting with him to see how he balances chasing the bag with trying to win hockey games. Right. Because if the teams that have the most space are not going to be the ones that are going to do very much, really, mm-hmm. generally speaking. Um, again, I know Calgary's got a bunch of space. They've got 26 million right now, but that, that could disappear in a real hurry. That could be almost mostly gone. If you sign good, uh, Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk, yeah. you know, uh, Mangiapane is going to get a nice little lift there as well. Uh, they've got only four defensemen signed next year. Shillington needs a new contract. Um, Lots going on there. Plus Sean Monahan, you would have to imagine he's going to be back in their lineup off the injured reserve. I know. I think they're trading him actually. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's probably played his last game for the Flames. Well, RIP to Sean Monahan then. Gone but never forgotten. Never forgotten. Uh, Nuge. Yep, yep, yep. Nuge tuned him up, and I respect him for it. Uh, looking at the Oilers lineup, back to the Oilers. Big co- big conversation in town is yes, Puliarvi. Today, Woodcroft gave him a vote of confidence, says he did not lose the confidence of the team or the coaching staff. Ken Holland's a little bit more vague with his answers, which is kind of just the standard with him. What is, what's your take on Yessa? I think he's not high on their priority list. I think of the three forward RFAs, and this is not me saying it's correct or incorrect of them. This is just what I believe. I think it's McLeod, then Yamo, then Pugliarvi. I think that's the way they're viewing this thing. Um, whether that's right or wrong, who knows, but it may lead to him being not here next season. And there's the angle of it too, where yes, Puliarvi has to want to be an oiler as well. Yep. You know, he might be a guy who goes to Ken Holland or his agent does and says, Hey, we told you we'd come back for two years and he'd bust his ass. And he did. He came back here and he played hard. And now they might say, we did our part. You hold up your part, trade us. And at that point, he might need to go around the league, find another RFA forward on a team and do a little one for one pull RV for another column if you want to a reclamation project or something like that it's not a trade the Oilers can afford to lose and I would advise against doing it and I would advise against trading a player when their value is relatively low you know you should always sell when it's high Um, but I could just see that's a scenario I can maybe see playing out yeah I just I I can't see a scenario where the Oilers are winning a trade with Yasa Puliarvi. so even if it is a matter of him not wanting to uh, maybe come back like we would hope he would. If I and obviously I'm making that up, I don't know anything. Yeah, um, they got to work together. They got to be like, okay, yeah. So like, if that's the case, we're speculating. You got to work with us. You got to come back in shape. You got to come back ready to go. You got to have a good start, and then we can look at doing it. But to sell another asset that's depressed is just they can't keep losing these trades. They just yeah. can't. Because they've already lost on this team and nobody talks about it, which is funny to me. They've already lost on this team what would be probably their top pairing D-men or at least second pairing with Oscar Clefbaum being out. Uh, Ken Holland said today he's not going to play next year. Um, Adam Larson understandably left for Seattle because of some personal reasons, but they just lost two of their top defensemen for nothing. So you can't be trading away forwards that are productive maybe not as productive as you want, but ultimately productive for nothing. 100%. And you, this, that's not a deal if I'm Ken Holland. Like I talked about, if you can get a second or a third for Barry, you do it because you need the money. If you get literally anything for Zach Cassian, you don't even have to get anything for Cassian. As long as someone agrees to take him, you can trade him. Warren Fogle, you know, maybe you want a warm body for him, but again, you might view the money as a little more valuable regardless. Pooley Harvey's not a guy you can trade for a second round pick. If you're going to trade that guy who's under team control, relatively cost controlled as an arbitration eligible RFA, if you're going to move him, it's got to be for a guy who's playing next season opening night and is going to be good for you. Like, you know, if I don't even think they would do this, but if Boston was like, hey, here's Jake DeBrusque for Pooley RV, like, okay, maybe you entertain that. I still don't think I pulled the trigger on that for money reasons and for player quality reasons, but something like that. Or if Arizona's like, Hey, you want Lawson Krause? I could see Holland being like, yeah, I'll take Lawson Krause for yes. Absolutely. Part of the package for Pasternak after what's going on in Boston. Huh? Dare to dream. 
So what do you what do you give up if if Boston is legit and is like, yeah, we're rebuilding one year of David Pasternak. They even keep a little right. Let's say they're in a generous mood like Pugliarvi's in that package. The first is in that package and Borgo. Uh, yeah, I think you do that. Could you imagine that? <laughs> I think David Pasternak playing with either Leon or Connor. Come on. All of so a sudden, if, you're not too worried about what happens with Evander Kane. No, you're not. Um, so yeah, the deal was a first Pugliarvi, Borgo, and Cassian for David Pasternak. At like, even if they just kept like 600k, it brought him down to an even six mil. You're adding another 40, 50 goal cut to your lineup. Like, yeah. You do that, and that I know again, it would suck that you're not helping out the defense and things like that. And you know, you could probably still find a way because Pasternak's so cheap to like bring back Kulak and all that, but. Um, yeah, if Pasternak's available, you move hell or high water to get that guy here. Yep. I don't think it's going to happen, but I am a dreamer and, uh, Boston's doing weird shit right now. So you never know. You never they're know. doing a bunch of weird, weird shit over there. Like they're probably like, I think Bergeron's done. I don't think Bergeron's coming back. McAvoy's out till like Christmas. Marshawn's out till I think around the same time, if not maybe a little earlier. Um, like they're, those two are already banged up and hurt outside of them. Their roster's not that good. So, yeah. R.I.P. Taylor Hall. R.I.P. He thought he was going to a consistent playoff contender. And one year in, or one and a half years in, the Bruins are like, oh, we might rebuild. And he's like, what the fuck? Yep. He just, that dude just cannot catch a break in terms of making playoffs consistently. Well, even just like, I'm thinking about Pasenak uh, now on a personal level. The last two years, the Bruins have let two of his good buddies walk. Yeah. And Tori Krug went to St. Louis. Krejci went overseas. He's just kind of, he's the Will Smith standing in the living room going, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, and you even think about, you know, they let Chara just go away. And their blue line, I'm not, I'm not saying Chara's great, but like he's a Bruins legend. Yep. And they just let him go away. And the dude's out here signing dirt cheap deals everywhere ever since. And Don Sweeney just like, didn't want him back. Like what did he sign with after Boston? Let him walk. He signed in Washington for $1.5 million. Yeah. Smile. Like what? That would be, I just, I don't get it. I don't get it either. Um, Tyler trilogy oil field. They sponsor this podcast for the righteous sack beating. So if you don't know what the righteous sack beating is, it's just basically a rant. Something that's annoying you. It's a throwback to the first article series that I did at Oilers Nation back in 2008. I look at something that annoys me over the last week and I talk about it. And this week, I just kind of want to go on. I don't understand what Sportsnet and the score were thinking when their social teams released troll jobs on the Edmonton Oilers after getting knocked out of the Western Conference Finals. It wasn't so much that the content they made was ridiculous or it was outlandish or anything, but they didn't do it for any other team after any other series. And for Sportsnet, you have to think that it's especially dumb as the rights holder, Rogers sponsors the fucking arena in this town, that they would go and do that and just alienate or at least piss off a sizable chunk of their viewers. We spent the first 25, 30 minutes of this interview talking about how amazing and passionate Oilers fans are. And then they just go and dunk on us when they didn't do it to the Leafs. They didn't do it to the Flames. And yet somehow, for some reason, Sportsnet, 
thought that they could just dunk on the Oilers and nobody would say a thing. Well, you look like you look like especially large assholes when you have to go back and delete those tweets. I would love to know what was going on there. I would love to know what the call from OEG was like because you know somebody called over there and said, what the fuck are you idiots doing? We are one of your major draws in season. Second, your product isn't nearly good enough to pretend like you're the only game in town. I went to game three against... Colorado and TNT put on a better show in Edmonton than Uh you do as the rights holders in this country. It's embarrassing the product that you put in front of us outside of Kevin Bieksa and Elliot Friedman and a couple of other people on the panel. I don't really get it. I cannot wait till they lose the rights and we get to watch better versions of the same games. Sportsnet, I don't understand what you're doing. The righteous sack beating this week is that you're dumb. You're short-sighted. If you're going to troll teams, you better do it to everybody and not one of the ones that's your biggest draw for what I understand are ratings that are plummeting on your product. I don't get it. You don't make any sense. And for that, you get the righteous sack beating this week. Tyler, over to you. I thought you might be having some fun doing a little rant here um, and playing along with me. So what do you got? Well, okay, so this was supposed to be the positive playoff wrap-up, right? Yep. So can I have a negative rant and I have a positive rant? Can I just I do like the positive? Both. I'd like okay, to we'll hear both. both. Yeah, we'll start with the negative one. It's the fans who can't enjoy anything. Yep. You sit there and you watch the team get to the conference finals, and all you bitch about throughout the series to Colorado is about how much you hate Mike Smith and can't wait for Ken Holland to get fired and you know this and that, and why is Josh Archibald playing and this and that, and it's just like, you know, be if your ultimate the ultimate goal is to always win the Stanley Cup. I understand that. I'm not saying it's not. But if you judge every single season and how much you enjoy it based on whether or not your team wins the Stanley Cup, being a sports fan is not going to be fun for you. Yep. You know, yep. like y- you need to be able to sit back and enjoy the moments like we did today. And I'm not trying to sit here and tell people how to be a fan. I guess you can do whatever you want. But I just don't understand the people who in every single moment sat there and just pounded their fist on the table and were like, this sucks. This is the Oilers going on a run is masking what a bad GM Ken Holland is. They're in the fucking conference finals, my guy. Like, what do you mean this is masking what a bad GM? Connor McDavid scores four points, carries the Oilers to victory, and people go on Twitter and say, well, Duncan Keith was terrible on that third goal, and Mike Smith should have stopped two more shots. So, you know, this is still on Holland. And it's like, what are we even doing here? If you can't sit there and enjoy what Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisettle did and give a little bit of kudos to guys like Mike Smith, who grinded, and a guy like Duncan Keith, who was still a good veteran presence for them. And if you can't sit there and give a little stick tap to Ken Holland and say, hey, maybe you did something right. You know, Cody Cece was real good. Brett Kulak was their best defenseman in the playoffs. Zach Hyman scored in every game in the Battle of Alberta. Ryan Nugent Hopkins scored a bunch of clutch goals for this group. And he signed for the next six years. But no, people just wanted to piss around and moan. And those people, I just don't get it. I don't get it either. I mean, there was also a smaller group, and we've talked about it a couple of times, where they would shit on player X, Y, or Z when they fucked up. And a lot of guys fucked up. That's how playoffs work. But then when those same guys did something well, like Duncan Keith took plenty of heat all year. And I think back to that game against Calgary where he came up with a clutch goal, three-point night, arguably his best performance as an oiler, and you can't say a word. 
you don't say a word about the win. Um, All you want to do is sit on what happens when they lose. Mike Smith, he battled. He was one of the best goalies down the last stretch of the regular season. Had some moments that are honestly questionable. No doubt. He made some mistakes that go where you lose your mind about, but he also made some gargantuan saves that helped them get to the third round. So I completely agree with you. Let's end off the Regis Act beating on a positive brand, though, Tata. When Joey Moss unfortunately passed away, there were so many, you know, ideas for tributes. Do you rename the community arena? Do you tape off his seat behind the bench forever? Do you give him a statue, which they should? And all of them were floated out. And to me, there's something very fitting about the Moss pit being called what it was and the way it came about. There was no corporate push for it. There was nothing but the fan base deciding that was going to be it. And it stuck. And for that, think of what that Moss pit was. Before the game, it was a spot for passionate Oilers fans to sit and gather and get hyped up for the game and just get excited. During the game, it was a spot for any fan. It was free to get into. All you had to do is walk in to sit there and cheer on their team and do nothing but be excited about the Oilers. And when you think about the energy Joey Moss brought, he did nothing but be excited about the Oilers. And, you know, never, obviously, you know, it wasn't like a for the money thing, anything like that. It was just all about being passionate and excited about the Edmonton Oilers. And I just think that the Moss pit being called what it was is just such a perfect tribute that just sort of happened without any sort of planning or anything. Like that. It just happened, and it represented what Joey meant so well. The best part about it is it came, like you said, organically from the fans. I don't know. I wish I knew who was the first one to tweet out the Moss Pit term, but, man, everybody I think embraced Dust, I think Dusty and Lieutenant Eric had something to do with it. Well, then they need, they deserve massive props because it was a great name, the perfect name, getting everybody to buy into it. The only thing that I would add on as a negative to the Moss Pit is that they, on the broadcast, they fought it so hard. They didn't want to call it. They were calling it the Ice District Plaza, no matter, regardless of nobody calling it that. So that would be the only downside. I loved it too. I also loved, I want to give the Oilers plenty of props for including Joey in the O Canada portion of the video including ben stelter in the video they just did a really great job for the presentation the others have taken a lot of heat over you know over the years for not doing the most with the screen or not doing the most for the fans and blah 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 but during this run man they did a great job so there you go right sack beating for our friends at trilogy oil field rentals tyler i'm about to let you go how would you sum up the just one last thought maybe how would you sum up this season just from a thousand, ten thousand foot view. A hopeful step forward. There's never a guarantee, like we saw in 2017, that you know things are gonna play out well next year. But I think you should be walking away from this season feeling pretty dang good about what happened over the last eight, nine months and where the Oilers could go in the next 12. There you go. For trilogy oil field rentals, check them out at trilogyrentals.ca. Tyler Uremchuk, thanks for jumping on with me. Anytime. Well, 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 how the turntables love talking to Tyler, love talking to Tyler. Uh, one more thing though, that I want to get to is for the righteous sack beating 
I had one come in from Ryan. I asked you guys to submit your own versions of the RSB, and I wanted to get this one in for our friends at Trilogy Oilfield Rentals and also for Ryan for taking the time to write to it. So he says, and it kind of goes along with Tyler, to be honest, I'm so tired of the bandwagon fans that just want this team to fail. Fans calling out Nurse to be traded. You play through what he did. Yes, he should have played less, but to bench him altogether, no. Another thing, fans bashing this team because we didn't make it to the Stanley Cup Finals, we made it to the Western Conference Final, for fuck's sakes. We haven't had this much success in 16 years. You're not going to win the Cup every year. Let's not bash the team or players. Let's enjoy the success we had this year, and we will be back next year. And for uh, Ryan, thank you for sending that in, because I just... I couldn't agree more, so I'm going to give you a round of applause. But with that, it is time to get to the voicemails. The voicemail brought to you by Rig Hand Distilleries. Go check them out at RigHandDistillery.com. The tour and tasting coupon, it's living there. I'm telling you about it. Go check them out. Go to Nisku. See the facility. See how they make the booze. I promise you it's a good time. You're going to have a great time. You're going to enjoy something. Have a little cocktail. Maybe buy a bottle of Brum. Maybe buy a bottle of Double Double. It's all good for you. I promise you that. Got a bunch of voicemails came in this week because I asked you guys to help me wrap up the season. So we'll see how these go. I see there's one of them that came in a week ago, right after the last episode. So I imagine it's going to be talking about the Western Conference Final. Uh, we shall see, though. Here's the first uh, voicemail from our for our friends at Rig Hand Distillery. Loyal subject bagged milk. <laughs> it's me, oh, Queen Elizabeth. Oh, hello. Congrats- I was wondering what your thoughts were about our noble hockey team's play. <laughs> Uh, congratulations on the Jubilee to the Queen. Oh, was I going to start over now? Did I fuck it up again? I think I did. Why is Leon playing? What is happening? I don't know what's happening. Okay, we're starting over. It's me, Queen Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. I was wondering what your thoughts were about our noble hockey team's playoff beards and mustaches. The majestic Mr. McDavid is a marvelous hockey player, but he looks like an unemployed day laborer. (laughs) While Mr. Hopkins looks like an aristocrat as always. (laughs) I will hang up and listen. (laughs) Queen Uh, out. uh, Shout out to the Queen again on the Jubilee. Uh, I fucked up the clip somehow. I don't know how I also had Leon playing in there, but that's the beauty of me doing this when I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just out here pushing buttons and having fun. Uh, so playoff beards. Let me think about it. Duncan Keith, obviously he's an old boy. That thing had perfect shape. It was beautifully rounded, wasn't it? Nugent Hopkins, he looked like he should be doing fashion uh, shoots. Like he should be a model for, I'm not going to say Calvin Klein, but like maybe like a nice wallet. Or one of those cologne brands for a, for a celebrity. I could see him in a nice suit with that little mustache goatee combo thing that he had rocking. McDavid, it was everything I needed. You call it sloppy, I call it beautiful. Leon Drysaddle, he just got more handsome as the playoffs went on. That's my opinion. Uh, who else? Cody Cece, endlessly handsome. Mike Smith, that thing terrified me. The hair, the beard combo, that is a terrifying man to look at. I'm just going to put that out there. Evan Bouchard. 
I would have loved to see this go on longer, the Western Conference Finals, or even make it into the Stanley Cup Finals, because I feel like that thing was just now coming into its own. And he's a very young player, despite looking 65 years old, and that beard is only going to get better with age. He's got a five o'clock shadow. Like he shaved this morning, probably. I don't know. I'm making that up. He shaved this morning. He's probably already got a five o'clock shadow. Not even five o'clock yet. Hell of an effort. Hell of an effort. I also want to give a bonus answer to Rick from Oilers Nation Radio. That playoff beard was coming in real nice. Real nice indeed. Hey, Big Milk. Hockey side. Uh, you know, I've seen pictures of you. I know what you look like. So please come out and show yourself. Uh, I don't like that. Because I think most people know. That being said, you look like a guy who would be very well dressed if the situation calls for it. Are you sure you've seen what I look like? Because that last comment makes me think like you haven't. Well dressed. I don't even own dress clothes. In fact, I was thinking about that today. I have to go to a wedding soon. Uh, not this coming weekend, but the next weekend, I have to go buy dress clothes or something that's wedding appropriate because I have nothing to wear. So my question is, because you seem like a guy who could be very well-dressed, can you get Tyler Gremtek a suit that makes him not look like a virgin? Because <laughs> whatever suit is in his profile picture, it's bad. And I've seen his girlfriend. He has a very attractive girlfriend. She's beautiful. He wears that suit and he looks like a virgin. So can you please, please do something? To make him look better. Thanks, Big Milk. Uh, I I disagree. If you heard it in the intro, Tyler Uremchuk is so fucking sexy. That's all he needs to know about that, right? I think Tyler's very handsome. Very, very handsome. So the highs and lows of the season. Well, the low would definitely have to be December, January there with our uh, horrible losing streak. So Again, I talked about that earlier. Just that was painful. I want you to think back, just like as I'm saying it now, think back to how angry you were in those times because I remember doing B-Cast and I was just livid mad. Um, to go from that to the Western Conference Final, regardless of the loss, come on, you take that all day. But the highs would be making it to the Conference Finals when people were already counting us out of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And then 100% then was probably the biggest highlight of the season. I couldn't agree more. Love Ben Stelter. Love that the city embraced him, that they rallied around him. Ben, you're just you're you're a beacon of light and hope in this city. And I just I couldn't have been more impressed with uh I got to meet him down in Los Angeles with his family, just with the response from the city, with the Oilers and including him in so much. Uh hundred percent. Highlight of the season, Ben Stelter, no doubt about it in my mind. What a season for our Oilers. What was better, the fact that we beat Calgary in the playoffs or going to L.A. for the first round of the playoffs? That was such a great time. Low point of the season, maybe that slump we were in towards the beginning of the season um, or the pile of injuries during playoffs and dry sidled to nurse to Yamamoto. Regardless, we were resilient, and I'm so proud of our boys. Jenna, you brought a lot of energy into that. So that was Jenna from Play 107. And yeah, we did go down to to Los Angeles together for the first round. She was a contest winner. And man, we had a great time down there. We were drinking red wine at absurd hours. We were drinking White Claws at absurd hours. We were renting Uber Blacks like it was it was going out of style, spending way too much money on transportation. We had a great time down in Los Angeles. The whole run was fun. Everything about it going down, but like I gotta say, going down to LA and seeing it uh, from a different perspective. I guess going in behind 
enemy lines and, and celebrating wins there, ultimately getting a loss there and getting just <laughs> chirped as much as I ever had as I was walking out of crypto.com arena. Just people were leaning into us going out of the arena. So it was great. Again, the, 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 the disastrous run of losses in December, January. Couldn't agree more with you, Jenna. Hey, Bag Milk. Trying to get this in in 90 seconds. Um, I just cannot say enough how proud I am of this team. I bleed blue and orange, and we've all suffered for so long being Oilers fans, and this run was absolutely amazing. Um, watching the anthem sung by that fans again, watching Ben just brought tears to my eyes. It was phenomenal. I do have to say that I just don't know if Ken Holland has the intestinal fortitude to step outside of his comfort zone enough to do what needs to be done. I'm getting some vibes from 2017 again when we were all so positive and good things are going to happen. If the Oilers lose Evander Kane, it's going to be a big step back. They've been looking for a player like him since the day McDavid stepped into the league, somebody who can skate with them, finish and protect him. We finally have him and the Oilers have got to do whatever it takes to sign him. Priority number one should be Kane, a goalie and defense. We have got to get guys like Tyson Berry out of the way who played wonderfully, but we need more size and more grit on the back end. And that's how it's going to get done. So I am praying to the hockey gods that Ken Holland can find a way to do that. Once again, to all the Oilers fans out there, enjoy what we did or enjoy what they did. Enjoy that we beat Calgary. What an amazing, amazing run. Sign Woody and Manson now. Sign them now. Bag Milk, thank you so much for what you do, giving fans a platform. Your show is amazing. I will try not to message as much. Go Oilers, and let's hope Holland can get her done. Have a good summer, everybody. I like the positivity there. Love it. Um, the Vander Kane thing, we talked about it with Tyler. It's just, I personally think he's played his last game as an Oiler, not because I don't want him back. It's just, I think he priced himself out. And it's one of those things where it was damn fun while we had him. But I think that when you're on a 40 goal pace in the regular season and to do what he did in the playoffs, some team is going to come in and set him at a price that we just cannot match. And I think they have to have a ceiling for Kane. You can't give him everything he wants in terms of term and dollars. But Ken Holland said today in his press conference, he wants him back. It's just a matter of how can you do it? How can you do it? Right. That's going to be the interesting part on Evander Kane. Again, I, I'd love to have him back. Um, by all accounts, he was a great teammate, did everything he wanted on the ice. So I, I agree. I agree. Losing him would be a step back. It's just I think the way he played, because he was so good, he may have priced himself out of the market. I hope I'm wrong, but we'll see. Hey, Bag Milk. It's Lisa. Uh, I've been in touch as LCYYC to you. Um I just wanted to say that this has been a great season. I'm so proud of the boys. Uh, there was some real heart that you could see, and I think the rest of the league noticed it, and it's impressive. Um, and personally, as a resident of Calgary, I am so glad that they <laughs> not only beat the Flames, but like really beat them, you know? So good for the boys. Uh, can't wait to see what happens this offseason and next season. Thanks, Big Milk. Take care. See ya. LCYYC, by the way, she is a supporter of the Frank's Picks gear. She's always in on the B-Cast, so thank you for leaving a message. I love that you're down in Calgary and got to enjoy an Oilers win there. I love that the only thing that the Flames had to celebrate this year was the Oilers getting knocked out of the playoffs. That was their Stanley Cup. 
For the Calgary Flames, their Stanley Cup was watching the Oilers get knocked out in the Western Conference Finals, and I find that to be hilarious. It's pathetic, but it's ultimately hilarious. I just want to say thanks to every one of you Oilers fans. That was phenomenal. Being a part of this run was phenomenal. The Game 7 win in Round 1, the sweet, sweet victory over Calgary. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we lost due to some injuries. We'll be back next year. I can feel it already. Good vibes only. Captain Felton out. Shout out to the good captain. I was lucky enough to have a cocktail with him or two or too many, to be honest, after game seven against Los Angeles. And uh, good vibes only, baby. Good vibes only. Hey, Bag Milk. Love the podcast. Hope you had fun over the playoff run. Um. For the lows, uh, they honestly don't seem so bad now that they made the conference finals. Still don't like how long it took for them to make the coach and change in the in the season when things were obviously not getting better. That's an interesting one. Like I said earlier in the podcast, I was I was like, the Oilers started too good. They're not going to fire Dave Tibbett. Ken Holland has never done it midseason ever. I didn't think it was going to happen. So as it dragged on, I was just like, are they going to let this thing crash and burn into the earth and just this is where we end up? Ultimately, they made the right choice. Woody's our guy. I believe in him. Anyway, I cut you off, sir. I don't get how you can look at how poorly the team was playing and not make a change sooner. It just seems silly to me, even now. Um, as for the highs, I mean, that whole playoff run, what can you say? Beating Calgary in five, McDavid with the game-winning goal, with a pass from Dreisaitl, the Selly, the call, the hug from Nuge afterwards. All of it was great. You couldn't really script it any better. Um, now the only low for me is wondering if they can do it again. I was only 10 when they made the run in 06. Then it took 10 years for them to make the playoffs again. And then another five after that to go on this run. It's just kind of sad to think that this might be as good as it gets. And I hope it's not, but you know, it's, it is in the back of my mind. Uh, you know, like I said, I love the podcast and I hope you enjoy your summer. Well, summer, we don't quit, baby. We don't quit. There's content coming. We got a lot of stuff coming up. Free agency, the draft, where I'm just going to be keeping do I'm going to keep these rolling all the way through. So I hope you don't get tired of me because these podcasts don't stop no matter what time of year it is. Um, I've thought about the 2017 thing too, but I think it's a little bit different in that a lot of our players are already coming back. I don't know outside of potentially losing Kane. And I, again, I I'd like, I'd love to see him back. I just don't know if it works. Um, personally, I think he's probably played his last game as an Oiler. But again, maybe not. I never expected to see him as an oiler in the first place. So what do I know at the end of the day? I just don't think that it's, there's, I don't think we're going to get an Eberle for Strom for Spooner trade this year. I don't think we're going to walk away or buy out a Benoit Pouliot this year who, he wasn't great, but he still found a way to chip in, you know, double digits and goals. Like if you remember back, the Oilers gave up a bunch of goals off their roster after that little run in 2017. I just don't, I don't see that happening again. I think that you're going to have a step forward from guys like McLeod. Uh, one of the earlier messengers said, and Tyler for that matter, said maybe Tyson Berry moves out for more of a shutdown guy. I, I, I'm i going to be interested to see where this team goes. Um, the, I think they need more tweaks than massive changes. After 2017, there was more changes than there were tweaks. And I, I hope that's not the case this year because even Leon Dreisaitl mentioned it in his, in his interview yesterday. He kind of said something, and I'm paraphrasing here. But he's just like, yeah, well, we thought we took a step forward in 2017 and then we missed the playoffs. So you have to learn from it. You have to enjoy it in the moment. But ultimately, it's time to get back to work as soon as their bodies are healthy enough to get going again. So 
Keep the positive vibes going. I believe that we're going to be back into the playoffs again next year and that we're going to do it all over again. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I believe in. Hey, Big Melt, Jason here. Um, so my highs for the 2022 um, season, uh, absolutely the start of the season. We went on a heater. Uh, number two, the Bison Kings. Uh, number three would be the game versus the Rangers. And Oh, man, that game versus the Rangers. You remember the goal Connor scored? Man, that thing is basically stapled in my brain. That dude scored so many amazing goals and had so many amazing rushes for the Oilers this year. Absolutely incredible. Again, I'm sorry I cut you off. Dry calling out the Rangers saying, oh, it's coming. Um, number four would be uh, we're all pissy, so dry in the media. Shout out to the we are all pissy tees. Uh, we sold a shitload of those. So shout out to dry saddle for the quote and ultimately Jim Matheson for the, uh, for the, uh, for the question, you know, I, I, I think it was pretty sweet. I think it was pretty amazing actually, you know, I, I, I have it somewhere, but I don't know. Oh, there it goes. Why are you so pissy? <laughs> it's been a while since I heard it. Why are you so pissy, Leon? So funny. Uh, number five uh, would be Tippett Woodcroft. Tippett firing and the Woodcroft hiring. Great one. Uh, number six, game six and seven uh, versus the Kings and Connor Sellies after those. Number seven, obviously, the Battle of Alberta. And again, Connor with the Selly to end it. Uh, some of my lows with a 2-13 and 13 run, the Western Conference final sweep, uh, and then some of the media members trying to uh, run our guys out of town. Like, come on, give, give them a break. <laughs> we all love the team. We all support the team, but come on. Like, do we really got to run everyone out of town? Like, how old is this getting? They need to retire. Uh, I also want to give a huge shout out to Oilers Nation. Uh, you guys do a great job and uh, just glad to listen to your podcast and follow the articles online. Thanks. Bye. Rob, we've got more coming. So thank you for the support. Thank you for the message. Um, <laughs> that was a funny one. I like the list. So I just want to say thank you to everybody who left a voicemail and for my friends at Rig Hand Distillery. That's it for the voicemail. This Rigandistillery.com. They sponsored the voicemails and you should appreciate them for all of the things they do. Go check them out, Rigandistillery.com. If you want to leave a voicemail, check it out. Uh, there is a link tree in both my Instagram, which is hi, my name is Bag Milk, or on Twitter, JSBM Bag Milk. I've got a link tree in my bio. That's where you can find the voicemail link super easily. Or go to the article on OilersNation.com. I put it right in there for you. There you go. Another round of the voicemails done. I just want to say thanks again to everybody for the support on the website, support of this podcast. It's going so much better than I ever expected. I know that the Oilers being good and going into the playoffs absolutely contributed to that. The plan for the summer is that we're just going to keep on going. I'm going to try and have more guests on. I'm just going to have more of my friends on, some media from around town that I like, some just some of the radio people I've met over the last little bit. I just want to talk to a bunch of interesting people. Of course, I'm going to have more nation staff on. And I think that maybe me and Jay are going to do an episode where we have some red wine together. So lots of stuff to come up with. Look forward to over the coming weeks and months on Better Late Than Never. But if you can do me a favor, keep leaving the voicemails and tell your friends about it. Subscribe, download, share. Everything you're doing, I appreciate you. And that's a wrap on episode 27.
deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.